Praise the Lord. It's a marvelous thing to be able to have that song as your testimony, right? To literally be singing, this is my story. This is my song, praising the Lord all the day long. And I pray that that's everyone's testimony this morning. Uh, before we turn to the pastoral prayer, we have a couple other announcements that I had promised. Uh, then I'll read Psalm 123 for us and pray. And after the prayer, uh, our children will be dismissed to their children's program. So I want to invite uh, Sister Ashley Davenport, Brother Thomas Matthews, uh, Brother Durst. Am I doing this? Can you hear me? Okay, you need to come. Okay. We'll invite those folks to come on up. Y'all welcome. Good morning, church. Um, so you guys know next Sat Sunday is our um, youth ministry gathering. We're going to be celebrating um, our high school graduates um, that are going off to do great things. Um, so far, we only have a couple of people registered. So I just wanted to give a reminder to everyone that it's next Saturday. I mean, next Sunday. Sorry. Don't show up Saturday. Next Sunday after church um, at the Matthews residence. Um, I sent out an email uh, last week uh, giving all the details. Um, so far, we've only have one graduate, um, which is Logan Coven. Um, so if we have any other graduates, please send them to me um, this week so that um, we can prepare to honor them. Um, and also, all the youth in the church, please, please, please come out. We're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of food. And, um, just enjoy each other's time. So thank you, and um, I'll give it back to Pastor Jake. Amen. So real quickly, this is not just for the graduates. Yes. All the youth of the church are invited to come out. That's excellent. But if Logan gets all the flowers as the only graduate, that's okay too, right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Thomas. All right. Sister Ashley. Good morning, y'all. Oh, thank you. Um, so thank you so much for those of you who have provided school supplies for Cornerstone. We have supported 15 students, the whole sixth grade class at Cornerstone. Give yourself a hand. Good job. Um, and I'm grateful that we go to a church that's generous. And so a lot of you guys have reached out to me and you've said, hey, I still want to support. And I'm like, great. If you've been on our prayer walks, we've been praying for schools and we have talked about a lot of schools that are not resourced. And so we reached out to Kellum Elementary School and also Kramer, and we are going to do another school supply drive for them. And so for Ketchum, they've asked for their upper grades. They have a lot of kids who come and they need deodorant. They need sanitary napkins, disinfectant wipes, socks, and folders. Again, basic needs, y'all. So we are doing a drive for that. You can bring them next Sunday. Uh, and if you can't come next Sunday, reach out to me and I can get those for you. And then for Kramer Middle School, we are, let me see here. Okay, we are collecting pencils, colored pencils, binders, notebook paper, ink pens, and folders. So when you're at Target or Walmart or wherever you're at, if you can just grab one of these items, I sent it in the email. If you're like me, you don't really check your email. Now I'm telling you, it's in your email. Uh, and if you don't remember, just reach out to me and I will be glad to tell you what we're collecting. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Ash. Good morning, church. Good morning, family, friends. Uh, August 20th, which is about two weeks from yesterday, I believe, uh, the men's ministry, Salt Life, are going to be having our third quarter fellowship. And my prayer is that all the men here who are not committed somewhere else will share and come out and join in. Uh, Matthew, I mean, Tommy Matthews will be sharing that morning on... Uh, yeah, amen. Biblical friendship, okay? Um, we'll be meeting across the parking lot in the uh, black box uh, building. So um, there's, no, there's no fellowship without presence. So last time we had a quarterly meeting, it was awesome. And we pray that, again, each of you who are not committed elsewhere will strongly consider uh, coming out. An iron sharpening iron. So we rely heavily on volleyball. So God bless you. We look forward to seeing you there. If you have any questions, need any information, please see one of us, myself, or Tommy after the service. God bless you. Praise God. And I'm praying if you do have a commitment elsewhere, you'll break it. 
come on, join us anyway. Uh, two other very quick announcements. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll conclude our morning service with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, so we invite you this week to be uh, prayerfully examining your walk with the Lord and relationships in the church that we might gather together and take the supper uh, in a worthy manner. And then uh, two Fridays from now, I think that's the 19th, Lord willing, we'll have our next new members class. So if you've been coming along and thinking about joining the church or you've got questions about um, the church, then come to that class, ask all your questions, get to know us. We'll talk about what we believe as a church, uh, how we try and live together as a church and our mission uh, in the neighborhood and the world. And so come get to know us a little bit. Coming doesn't obligate you to join. So you can come and say, no, nah, them people praise, I'm going somewhere else. Um, but if you do plan to join, this would be the first step in that process. So uh, contact the church office, admin at anacostiariverchurch.org. Uh, we'll be happy to get you the materials for that. Amen. All right, beloved, our reading for this morning comes, comes from the 123rd Psalm. This is a Psalm of David. It's a wonderful Psalm of prayer, really. It's a song of ascent. It reads thus To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Psalmist seems like a man standing between earth and heaven, feeling how hard it is to live sometimes and knowing how necessary it is to look up to where his help comes from. And that's what we want to do this morning. Let's look to our help in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word, which here teaches us to call upon you for your mercy. Indeed, Lord, we are a people in desperate need. We don't always feel it, but it is always true. For without you, we could do nothing. Without you, we could bear no fruit. Without you, we could not take our next breath. And so we come to you as a people who know, Lord, that, that often in your word, it's those who ask for mercy, uh, who receive not only mercy, but overflowing love and grace and all that come with your kingdom. So we pray this morning that you would, you would remember your churches. We pray especially this morning for Bethlehem Baptist Church, MLK and Solid Rock Baptist uh, up in Northeast there. We thank you especially um, for their ministry in providing housing for the community. We thank you, Lord, for their leadership in trying to preserve and to create uh, housing for those who are um, low-income and struggling and uh, in a city with rising rental rates, in a city with increased pressure from redevelopment and gentrification. We just praise you that you have a people who would bear witness in that area to your love and your mercy and your provision. We pray, bless those churches, Lord. Bless their pastors, bless their people. Keep them united. Make their witness, not only in the area of housing effective, but make their witness with the gospel effective. Lord, keep them faithful to the truth of your word, we pray. And we pray this morning for Oakland Baptist Church over in Alexandria. We praise you for our partnership with them, for the years of support they have shown to us and our fellowship in the gospel. We thank you, O Lord, as they have um, called uh, Pastor Fox now to, to serve in the pastorate. We pray that you would give them uh, great joy as they rejoice together with this brother as he gives himself to the work of the ministry. Two, keep him faithful and uh, keep him focused, Lord, on, on you. Let him watch your hand the way this psalm instructs us to. Let him look to you for provision and the whole church together to look to your hand for, for provision in all things. And we thank you, Lord, for the, the long, faithful pastorate of our brother Don Hayes, Lord. We praise you for his ministry there. 
And we pray that, uh, Lord, his ministry there would continue to bear fruit, Lord, years and years, decades even, beyond his ministry. We thank you, Lord, for such a faithful servant, and we pray that you be with him in this next chapter uh, of ministry and life together with his wife, Gloria. Keep your hand of blessing upon them, we pray. And Father, we pray uh, for those in authority over us as your word instructs us. We pray for the local police department. We pray that you would uh, protect the lives of law enforcement officers. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would guide them to protect the lives of the community and residents. We pray that the officers of this city would be just in all of their dealings. That they would be righteous and true. And that, Lord, wherever there is any corruption and any unrighteousness, that you would expose it and that true accountability would be held. We pray that, Lord, you would, through our police agencies, Lord, um, foster uh, peace and quiet uh, and, and rest in the community as they do their job with your grace and your blessing. We pray not only for the police, but we pray for Mayor Bowser as well. We thank you for her administration and her leadership. Father, we pray that uh, she would be beholden to no one but you. We pray that you would lift her above the grip of uh, lobbying agencies, the, the grip of special interests. We pray that you would lift her above the reach and the clutches uh, of, of every interest that does not come from you. We pray, O oh Lord, that she would lead in righteousness and lead in integrity. Lord, that she would have the kind of integrity that would lead her to correct things that need to be corrected, to begin things that need to be begun, uh, and to be fully transparent uh, in all of her dealings. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would draw her to yourself, uh, and there, Lord, show her your grace and mercy. We pray also for the president, President Biden and Congress. We ask there too, Lord, that you would uh, end anything that is unrighteous, that you would stop any corruption, and that you would make truth and justice to reign in our government. We pray that you would so bless the government that it would be a blessing to the people of this great country. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would um, give them grace, Lord, to handle the many difficult things that we face as a nation. We pray, O oh Lord, that they would be uh, able to work together effectively in um, continuing to combat uh, COVID, this pandemic, now monkeypox, Lord. We pray for um, smoothly operating institutions and systems uh, so that, again, the, the people of this large country, Lord, would know the blessing of um, solid government. And Lord, we pray not only for ourselves, but we pray also for other countries as well. This morning, we pray for Singapore. We pray for uh, its people and its leaders. We ask, Father, that just as we have prayed for ourselves, that you would also uh, remember Singapore, that you would bless its people and bless its government with righteousness and integrity, um, that, Lord, you would bless that land with the revival of your gospel, pour, pour out your spirit uh, upon the people there in, in gospel preaching and lift up Jesus Christ and, and there, Lord, draw all people to yourself. We pray not only for the salvation of people in Singapore, but we pray that you'd raise up a mighty church there that would begin to export missionaries all over the world, that your gospel would not only ring out in that land, but ring out from that land to other lands as well. Build your church there, we pray. Make her faithful. And Father, we remember, Lord, one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We turn our minds, Lord, back home here to the church family. We pray for those who are in need of your mercy here, right here among us. We ask you to bless those who are looking for work or whose work is unstable or whose work doesn't quite make the ends to meet. We pray that you would provide, Lord, for them new work. Uh, if not new work, give them, Lord, faith to start new businesses. Um, but in, in whatever way you please, Father, we pray, uh, meet the, the financial and material needs uh, of your people in this congregation and, and bless us so that we would be a blessing to others as your word calls us to. We pray not only for work, but we pray for the health of the congregation. We pray that you will remember those who are battling certain um, diseases and disabilities, uh, some as temporary as colds, others as more significant as um, cancer and heart disease and um, disability. 
Lord, we, we pray that you remember our sister, Miss Teresa, this morning, that you would uh, strengthen her in soul and in body and, and comfort her, Lord, with your presence and fill her heart, Lord, with your joy. We pray for our brother Cornelius, Lord, um, having moved up to Northeast. We, we pray that you would be with him, getting him settled, the family settled there in Northeast. And in his, Lord, health needs, he and his wife, Lord, we ask, Father, that you would provide, that you would be Jehovah who heals. Strengthen them, we pray. We thank you for our dear sister Hannah. We pray that you would continue uh, your healing work in her life and uh, continue to provide for her, Lord, uh, bodily, socially, um, emotionally, uh, financially, in every way, Lord. Just uh, be with our sister as she has been with so many of us, being an agent of your grace and mercy. And Lord, we call to mind others near to us and far from us who need your mercy. We pray for those who are experiencing conflict of various sorts. Be merciful. Show yourself to be the peacemaking God that you are. And help us to be peacemakers, Lord, uh, engaging conflict in a way that, that is redemptive, in a way that blesses, in a way that restores peace and relationship and joy. We need your mercy through this for many times it seems like it's beyond our ability. So, Lord, we look to your hand. Show us your mercy. Show us your grace. Grant us your love and let it overflow to all the others around us, we pray. And as we gather uh, this morning, we pray that you would receive our, our worship in this offering, that you would bless it, that you would multiply it, that you would use it for your praise. And as the children go to their program, we pray that you would go with each and every one of our little ones and the teachers and that you would make your gospel clear and make Jesus beautiful to them and cause them to delight in the Lord, uh, even from this tender age. And as we hear your word uh, as adults, let us be children too, in faith, looking to you and your kingdom, receiving all that you give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite the ushers to come forward, um, collect the offering this morning. Oh, they're already forward. There we go. Uh, and children are dismissed to their children's program if they haven't gone already. Just a moment, we will turn our attention to God's word. Before we get to 1 Timothy 1, we had a homework assignment. Anybody remember what it was? Anybody do their homework assignment? We are memorizing 1 Timothy, right? We left off at verse 11. And so we're supposed to have someone recite for us 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Any, anybody want to recite it for us? Anybody want to recite any part of that for us? Uh, who did their homework? Christy, I saw your hand. You want to do it for us? Come on. You did it already? Okay. I'll, I'll struggle. I'll give you the, the morning off, okay? Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. So I'm going to try verses 1 to 11. So we're going to look at verses 12 to 17, and that'll be our, our section to memorize for next Sunday, okay? Y'all keep me honest here. First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going into Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, where you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love, which issues from a pure heart and a sincere faith, no, a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, having swerved from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without knowing what they are saying, without knowing either what it is they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law was not, is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, uh, the unholy and profane, for those who strike their mothers and fathers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, and perjurers, and whatever else. And, 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 and yeah, what is it? Anything else, or and, and whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, of which I have been entrusted. Is that right? Amen. Amen. Praise God. I was cramming these last two days. <laughs> so don't feel bad if you forgot to memorize it. But we'll come back to Scripture memory. Work on verses uh, 1 through 11 and 12 to 17 uh, for next week. Amen? Well, let me offer a word of prayer. We turn to God's word. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's living and breathing and active, that it cuts and divides, that it heals and builds up, that it guides and gives wisdom, that it helps and reproves. Thank you for your word. By it, we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equip us now in the hearing and the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, one more question before we get to the word. Anybody need a Bible? If you need a Bible, just raise your hands right there. We've got a couple sisters I'm bringing them down the aisle. If you raise them, keep them up so they can see you. In the back corner there, Jasmine, on your way back. Okay, here we, here we go. So let's give God praise and thanks for our brother Matt Swanson, who fed us uh, most of last month in uh, the book of Ephesians. We praise God for you, brother. Labors in the word. Matt had a good way of framing um, Ephesians and 1 Timothy. Uh, Ephesus is where Timothy is. And so Matt talked about um, the book of Timothy being the letter to the church planter. And the book of Ephesus being the letter to the church that is planted, right? And these two things give us a, a whole sort of view of what's happening in Ephesus and what's happening in the ministry and what God expects of his local churches. In fact, that's why we're doing this series. You remember we began the year saying we wanted to focus uh, as we're relaunching into meeting together again post um, the pandemic. We wanted to focus on what the Bible teaches about the local church what we are to understand about life together as a local church. And so we're turning to one of the manuals that the Bible gives us in the New Testament to 1 Timothy to think precisely about that. And so far, the Apostle Paul has basically just been working through his greeting. Verses 1 and 2, he greets Timothy as his, his true child in the faith. You remember they had a unique relationship where Timothy as a young man began to travel with Paul and to minister with Paul and to learn from Paul how it is that he was to preach and to pastor and to lead the church. Then he addresses a, a problem right there in uh, Ephesus right away, this problem of certain persons wanting to be teachers who don't know what they're talking about. They want to teach the law instead of the gospel. And they want to teach other things, myths and endless genealogies, Paul says, which promote speculation, not faith. Doesn't promote solidity, doesn't promote firmness. It promotes this kind of, ah, maybe, I don't know, could be, shoulda, woulda. How many of you know shoulda, coulda, woulda won't help you when you need the Lord? And so Paul says, command them not to teach any different doctrine and not to teach anything that's contrary to the gospel in verse 11. 
He calls it the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which he has been entrusted with. And I think that when Paul says in verse 11, makes this reference to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, I think something happened to Paul that sometimes happens to you and me. You have been driving along in your car or maybe you're in the grocery store and that song comes on and it's your song from way back. You're like, oh, I ain't heard that in a long time. You know, you're on the tater chip aisle just weaving, right, bobbing, getting your flow on. You turn the radio up. And all of a sudden, when you hear that song, you, you're, like, you're like 10 years or 20 years or however many years ago, you just transport it back, aren't you? I think that's what happens with Paul in verse 11. He mentions the gospel, and then the next thing that happens is Paul gets into his testimony. You see there in verse 12, he says, I thank him who strengthens me. Notice, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Paul is made to think not only about who he is now, but who he was then. He's made to think about his thankful present. You see that in verse 12? I thank him who gives me strength. And so there's no confusion about that. He says, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is habitually sort of reflecting on the fact that the, the strength that he has, the power that he has, the ability that he has to live, to preach, to serve the church comes not from himself, but comes from Jesus. He says it over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, when he talks about him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says in verse 29, for this I toil, laboring, wrestling, striving with his energy that works in me. He says it over in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says it's no longer I who lives, but what? Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is ever conscious of the fact that he's not living in his own power, that the Christian life is not a white-knuckling life where you grit your teeth, you grab the wheel harder, and you just muscle your way through it. But there's this wonderful miracle happening in the Christian life that God's power is at work in us as we believe. Paul says it over in Roman, Ephesians chapter 1, I believe it is. He says it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Think about it, beloved. If you are Christ, that same power which raised Jesus from the grave is the power that is at work in you as you believe. Now that's reason to give thanks. Paul says, I give thanks to him. I thank him who strengthens me, Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and Paul knows that everything else that's happening in his life right now, in this thankful present, is a result of Christ's kindness to him. So he says now, because what? He judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul says, listen, the only reason I'm in the ministry is not because of my strength, not because of my wisdom, not because of my smoothness, not because of my eloquence, not because of my education. I am in this ministry, not even because I was faithful, but only because he judged me faithful and appointed me to this service. Paul said, no, thank you. Beloved, we ought to be thankful if we get any way, any opportunity to serve the Lord. Ask us the thanks. If you're like me, how often, though, you start managing your energy levels, you start checking your calendar, you start thinking about all the other commitments, and, and there's no sense of thanksgiving? When we have opportunity to serve Jesus? We should repent of that, shouldn't we? an amazing thing. We get to serve the one true and living God. We get to serve his people, and through us, he, he does his work. We should be thankful if we have opportunity to buy supplies for kids in school. 
we should be thankful if we have opportunity to gather with the men of the church for salt life ministry. We should be thankful if God has appointed us to the service of taking the gospel out for coffee and convo. We should be thankful if we get to serve in the praise team or serve in the children's ministry. We should be thankful if we get to share our testimony or read the scripture. Whatever it is we get to do for the Lord, beloved, we should be thankful. Y'all ain't thankful yet. Y'all ain't thankful yet. Y'all still thinking about it. You still working on it. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not going to reprove you. Let me show you why Paul is thankful. He has this thankful presence because he has this terrible past. Did you see what he says in verse 13? He says, God has appointed me to this service. God has judged me faithful. Though formerly, if you have a translation like the NLV, he says once. Though formerly, notice what I was. I was a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent man. That's his biography. That's his testimony. That's his statement about who and what he was. When he says, I was a blasphemer, a blasphemer is someone who curses and rejects God. Paul says, I was a God rejecter. I slandered God's name. I reviled his name. And not only that, notice he says, I was a persecutor. Now, a persecutor is someone who attacks another person for their beliefs. It wasn't enough that Paul was a blasphemer in and of himself. Paul had to take that public. Paul had to sort of attack other people who were followers of the way, who were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I was coming after him. Then he says, I was an insolent opponent. You may have a translation that says a violent man. See, Paul wasn't content to oppose the gospel just with his words. He wasn't content to oppose the church just by arguing with them. Paul, being the zealous person that he was, had to go the next step. He had to physically kill and jail and attack the church in an effort to destroy the church. You can read about this if you want to, starting in Acts chapter 7, around verse 54. In Acts 7, there's an early deacon of the church named Stephen. Stephen gets up and preaches one of the greatest sermons in the Bible. Goes through the whole history of Israel, pointing out that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, he's preaching to a Jewish audience that has rejected Jesus. And when he comes to the end of the sermon, he doesn't give him three points in a poem. He says, you guilty. You killed him. And the people gnash their teeth and get mad. Some of the guys in the crowd take off their robe. They pick up stones. They stone Stephen to death. And the Bible says there was a young man named Saul standing by who held their coats as they stoned him, giving approval to the murder of Stephen. And then Acts chapter 8 tells us that Paul was still breathing out cursings when he got permission from the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem to go to every house and to pull out of every house the the moms, the dads, the children, everyone who was a follower of the way to take them to jail, to kill them, to do whatever it was he pleased to do to them. And the Bible says when he had finished making the rounds to every house in Jerusalem, then he got permission to go to the rest of the known world. Paul says, listen, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the question I want to ask you. Will God save such a person? Now, don't think about that question as it relates to Paul. We know what happened with Paul. Think about it in relation to all the people you know and see. Do we believe, really believe, that God will save his enemies. Do we believe that God would save a person with a biography like this, with a terrible past like this? And maybe you don't have to answer that question thinking about somebody else. Maybe that's a question you need to ask thinking about yourself. Maybe you are like Paul and you are aware of your past. You are aware of your past to the extent that you think God doesn't want you. God can't do nothing for you. You've ruined it all. 
and you're beyond his redemption. If God gives me grace, I may never forget when I was pastoring in the Cayman Islands, probably there in my first year, we had a, a, a gymnasium attached to the church, and we had some kind of program for children. I forget what it was. It might have been VBS or something. But there was a volunteer serving in, in whatever that program was who wasn't uh, a member of the church. And, you know, I'm as a shepherd, I'm nervous about such things. But that was their practice when I got there. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go talk to everybody I don't know. And so I go up and talk to her. And uh, i never forget, she was like a slightly older soccer mom, um, weathered skin from the Caribbean sun, um, over there kind of by herself, just obviously disconnected from everybody else except the, the ministry leader who had invited her. And I go over and ask her name. She's very pleasant. She shares her name with me, and um, I'm going to get to the gospel. So I said, hey, you know, Tell me about yourself spiritually. Have you reached a point where, you know, where you're going after this life? And she chuckled. And <laughs> she said, oh, Pastor, God gave up on me a long time ago. And maybe you think like that woman. God gave up on you a long time ago. Your past is too bad. You have a terrible past. And you're not quite in a thankful presence. You don't know God. You don't know Jesus. You've never confessed your sins. You've never repented. You might not even be sure that it would do any good. Look at the rest of verse 13. The Bible says there, Paul says there, given his testimony, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, listen, I have a thankful present. I remember my terrible past. And it's all because of this transforming power. It's all because of this transforming power called mercy. If, if Paul was a, a brother from Northeast D.C., he might have wrote a song called Mercy, Mercy, Me. Things ain't what they used to be all. If he were a Christian in CCM today, he might have written a song called What Mercy Did For Me. That's what Paul begins to celebrate here. He says, now listen, I, yes, I was all of those things, but, 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 notice now, God comes in contradiction to his past. But Paul says, but I received mercy. I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ overflowed for me in faith and love. Notice what Paul says now. I was on my way trying to destroy the church, simultaneously destroying my own soul, but God interrupted me because of his mercy and grace. Mercy is God punishing us less than our sins deserve. Grace is God blessing us more than our sins deserve. Paul says, I got it with both hands. I got mercy on the one hand. God punished me less than my sins deserve. And I got grace on the other hand. God blessed me well beyond anything I deserve because of my sin. And what we're meant to look at at verse 13 and 14 is not God's terrible past, but God's transformational power because of his mercy and his grace which overflowed toward Paul and really reversed and renewed his entire life. Notice there, Paul says, listen, I was a blasphemer, but now I have this faith. He says, I was a persecutor, but I've received grace. He says, I, I was an insolent opponent, and God showed me mercy. Everything that's wrong about our life of sin, God in his grace and his mercy has an answer that will transform. He asked the question, will God save his enemies? Yes. Yes, a thousand times yes. He asked the question, will God save me? Yes. A thousand times, a million times yes. Because he's this kind of God. 
because he's full of mercy, he's full of grace, and he overflows in mercy and grace toward those who have rejected him and opposed him and disqualified themselves because he loves them. That's you, beloved. That's me. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, I I pray that you would, by faith, hold on to this. This is God's character. He is merciful and gracious toward sinners, toward his enemies, which means you are not beyond the reach of his love and his salvation and all that he gives in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means you should come to him. If he's merciful and he will not punish you uh, as your sins deserve, but, but less, and if he's gracious, it means he will give you more than your sins deserve, where else should you go? But to the one who, because of his son on the cross, has already removed your sin and punishment and is prepared to give you his entire kingdom. Where else should you go? But to this God, calling upon him, that you might be saved. Let me tell you how to pray to this God if that's you. If you need his salvation. Let me, let me tell you how to pray to this God. It's a prayer right from the Bible. Jesus tells a story about a religious man at prayer and a sinner at prayer. And the religious man stands up and prays to God, and his prayer goes something like this. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner, that I tithe and I give and I do all these things. I'm so good. And the Bible says on his knees is this sinner who could not even lift his face toward heaven. And he said to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was the sinner who prayed for mercy who went home justified, not the religious person who thought it had it all together. Can you pray that prayer? Lord, have mercy on me. It's a prayer that God always answers. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Now, church, can I make an application of verses 12 to 14 to us as a church? There are many things we could say, but I want to say two things. Number one, I pray that we would become comfortable sharing our testimony. That's what Paul is doing right here. That's what our sister Jacqueline did so wonderfully for us earlier in the service. Praise God. Were you encouraged that God's work in our sister's life? Amen. Number one, I pray that we would, we would be comfortable sharing our testimonies. Write your story down. How did you come to know God? What, what, is, what was your life like before you heard the gospel? How did you hear the gospel? And what's your life been like after hearing the gospel and following Jesus? That, that ought to be a regular part of our conversation and our communication. And it doesn't have to be fancy. Notice, Paul's is like two sentences. He got it all in like two sentences. So I'd encourage you to write like a five-sentence testimony and a five-paragraph testimony and a five-page testimony, right? That way you'll be ready on the elevator, you'll be ready on a Sunday morning service, and you'll be ready over a long dinner, right? So write and share your testimony. God will use it. But here's the other application I want to make for us as a church. Let me ask you this question. Are we the kind of Christian community where someone could come in here and say, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent person. Where they can come and say that and not feel judged, rejected, or ashamed. Right, because Paul is writing to the whole church in Ephesus. And he is putting this in print. It's meant to be read to the entire church. He's laying his whole life out there. This this is who I was, right? And I suspect that oftentimes in Christian churches, if we've been Christians for just a little bit uh, and we've come to faith in the Lord, we're so happy to have a new life that we don't ever want to talk about the old life. And the consequence of that is we turn into, over time, not the sinner on his knees saying, Lord, have mercy on me. We can turn into the Pharisee saying, thank God I'm not like these sinners. There's something about remembering our terrible past that keeps us from becoming religious hypocrites. And there's something about remembering our terrible past and talking about it that makes the community open and safe for people who have a terrible present that's not yet their past. So, I mean, you know, 
What sin do you think is so terrible that you'd be ashamed or embarrassed, maybe even standoffish, to have those persons here present among us? That's, that's where we would need to grow in grace and mercy, right? So maybe, maybe a person is struggling with sexuality. They're attracted to the same gender, or maybe they're bisexual, queer. Maybe they want to use different pronouns. What's our response to that? Are we going to be launching right into arguments about I'm not going to use that pronoun and, you know, you ought not call yourself that? Or are we going to um, sort of quietly, never using mean words, but essentially uh, distance ourselves? Are they going to feel shunned and ashamed because of that? Or, or maybe a person comes to the community that, that has a, a, a criminal record. They've got a background. They've been arrested. They spent some time in jail, maybe a long time in jail. And maybe that's where they came to know Jesus. And they, they come out, and now they're looking for a church home. And they come into ARC and into our family. And, and they, they, will they feel comfortable to share that? Will they feel welcome to share that? What, what gives you confidence that those persons would feel and know our welcome when it comes to sharing their terrible past. Maybe we're hopeful. I think we are a warm church family. I think we are warm people. But I'm also the pastor. I hear the good comments at the door. And these are the kinds of feelings that people have that they don't necessarily tell you when they're passing you at the door. You know what would give me greater confidence based on this text? that someone who has a terrible past would feel like they're right at home here at Anacostia River Church is if we as members were confident, comfortable, and frequent in talking about our terrible past. Well, if you show up here and nobody ever mentions their past life of sin, why do you think your past life of sin would be welcome, Right? If everybody seems to have it together, they speak Christianese, and they know all the routines, they know when to stand and when to sit down, and you're, you're trying to find the page on the Bible, and you don't know where things are going, and they never talk about their faults and their struggles and their sins and their past life before Jesus, why would we think that someone coming into the community new that way would feel comfortable talking that way? Right? Amen, Miss Pat. All right, me and Miss Pat brought our amen with us this morning. But look at this Jesus whom Paul found. He's full of mercy and overflowing in grace so that Paul feels set free enough to put in print, not just for the church at Ephesus, but for all the churches of all time, his terrible past. Have we been that freed by the gospel that we can talk that openly? about our past? I hope we have. Will God save his enemies? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Here's the second question. Why would he do that? Why, why would God save his enemies? Well, look at me in verses 15 and 16. There the apostle Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Well, I love these verses. If you don't memorize this whole paragraph for next week, memorize these two verses, 15 and 16. Paul says in 15, listen, I'm about to tell you something you need to hold on to. This is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. Don't doubt this. Don't write this off. Don't dismiss this. Don't forget this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what the whole Bible is about. That's what all of Christianity is about. There's lots of other things that flow out of that, but nothing more central, nothing more important than this truth right here, that the Son of God put on human flesh and left an eternity in glory and walked on this earth for 30-some-odd years. And he did that not just so he could have a, vac a vacation from glory. He did that 
so that he could save us from hell. That he could save us from the judgment of God coming against the world. The whole reason Jesus came was so that he might rescue us from a well-deserved judgment. This is trustworthy, beloved. It is documented in the Bible. There's, there's historical documentation of the events in the Bible. We are not making things up. This is something you can put your trust in. This deserves full acceptance. Don't just accept it intellectually. Don't just accept it for mama and grandmama. This deserves full acceptance. You should give your entire life over to this truth that the Son of God came into the world to save sinners. Notice what Paul said. He regarded himself as foremost among sinners. We have a translation where he says, he's chief of sinners. Now, you might want to argue with Paul. Paul, you don't know my sin. Paul, you know what? You had the title for 2,000 years, and I came along. Now, I'm the heavyweight champion of sin. Right? I knocked you out in the first round, Paul. That's okay. You be the chief of sinners then. You be the worst sinner you know. In fact, that's a good posture for all of us, to be the worst sinners we know. Right? So you go ahead, you take the title, but put your name in the place of Paul right here. He came into the world to save sinners of whom you are the foremost, right? So even if you are the worst sinner, even if your sins are worse than Paul, you did more than blaspheme God. You did more than persecute the church. You did more than kill Christians. I can't imagine how you did, but you did. You did worse than Paul. Still, Jesus came for you came for the chief of sinners. If he comes to get the chief of sinners, all the rest of us sinners are included too. This is why it's trustworthy. This is why it's worthy of full acceptance. His death was effective in accomplishing your rescue from hell. His death was effective in making you, if you believe in him, an adopted son or daughter in God's family. Nothing's undone. Nothing's left. It is finished. And Jesus did it for you. Now notice what Paul goes on to say there. He gives us the why in verse 16. Why, why would God do this? God is always up to good. God is always up to something. Paul goes back to the theme of mercy in verse 16. He says, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, right? So I received this mercy. God chose me to display this mercy because he's going to use me for something. That in me, the foremost, notice now, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him to eternal life. You see what Paul is saying there? Paul says, my entire life and conversion is a sermon illustration. He's saying there, God saved me so that you would have no doubt about his mercy being available to you. He makes, he makes Paul a trophy of his mercy, a trophy of his grace. Paul said he saved me as the worst of sinners so that, that, that his saving work in my life could be lifted up and everybody else who looks at it knows. Man, if he did that for Paul, He'll do that for me, too. And guess what? It doesn't stop with Paul. That's one of our purposes in the Christian life if God has saved us. Our lives, too, are trophies of God's grace. Those, too, are an illustration. Notice how Paul puts it here, of Jesus Christ's perfect patience. His perfect patience. I don't know about you, but I'm... I'm a little bit patient. I got imperfect patience. I got that kind of patience that overflows on my good day and dries up on my bad day. Praise God, I'm not God. God ain't like that. God's not patient one day and hard the next day. God's not kind one day and standoffish the next day. He's not like that at all. God is a God of perfect 
patience. There's no blemish. There's no fault. There's no corruption in his patience, in his ability and willingness to wait, to endure, to suffer long with us, to choose the the right moment to open our mind and to open our heart. And, And while he's being patient, he's also being gracious, giving us life, giving us opportunity, blessing us with various things. And he's perfect in his patience, which means that when we come to recognize God's patience, it ought to lead us to repentance. The kind of patience that makes us turn around, see how good he is, and come back to him. That's why he saves us. To display his perfect patience so that somebody else out there looking to live forever with God in his kingdom, would see it and have it and behold it. So, Christian, this is another reason for us to be sharing our testimonies and talking about this Jesus. It's because somebody else out there on Mississippi Avenue, on Stanton Road, somebody else out there in Upper Northwest, somebody else out there in the workplace, somebody else in our family, somebody that we thought, if we tell the truth, is worse than Paul, probably not going to be saved. That's the very somebody God means to use you as a sermon illustration. That's why he was patient with us. That's why his gospel wasn't meant to be preached until it reached us and then bottled. It's meant to be preached until it reached us and then passed along to those who are around us. He has mercy for us and mercy for our neighbor too. This is why he saved Paul. This is why he saved us. Now, what does this kind of God deserve for this kind of mercy? It's there in verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He deserves praise. Pastor Hayes, we preach twice. If God has saved you, he deserves praise. Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim, we ain't there yet. We ain't there yet. It ain't clicked for us. Beloved, We were rightly headed toward an eternal hell of unending suffering apart from God. And we were not looking for God, if we're honest, in our terrible past. We we were looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for nugs, (laughs) date myself. We were, weren't we? We were, we were delighting in our sin, even when we knew it was making us miserable. We kept doing it. We had no thought of God. We, and we deserve, we deserve this hell that God actually prepared for Satan and his angels. Right? And at some point, without our invitation, God made us aware of our need. And God made us aware of Jesus, and God, God caused us to love him, to turn from our sin and to put our faith in him. And, and so he saved us, not because of works that we have done, but because of his grace, right, his mercy. We deserved hell, and he gave us an eternal kingdom with his son. We, we, our lives, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together in Christ Jesus. We, we didn't do it, he did it. Now, we should never, we should never think of God doing this majestic work in our lives and not give him praise. Beloved, we shouldn't, I'm not trying to beat up on you. I'm I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody. Listen, 
I love the way our praise team leads us. I love the freedom in which they lead us. I love that Essie exhorted us this morning to, to pray. She came over here, couldn't get no amen over here. She came over here, couldn't get no amen over there. She said, well, if we put it together, maybe we'll get an amen. That should never, she should never have to, she should never have to stir us up. <laughs> Beloved, she should never have to stir us up to praise a God who saved us according to his mercy. Right? We should be like Paul here. He starts with thanksgiving in verse 12. He ends in doxology in verse 17. And in the middle, he's giving God glory for all the mercy that he's received. That, that should be us. And we sing this song, this is my testimony, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Those should not just be mere words to us, beloved. If they are, I have an invitation for you. Think deeper about what Jesus has done for you. Think deeper about what he has saved you from. Think deeper about how great and glorious that makes him. And praise him. And glorify him. And lift him up. So, beloved, we have a God who is the king of the ages, from eternity past to eternity future. There's never a time when he's not king of kings and Lord of lords. We have a God who is immortal. It means he cannot die. Why, why do you think that you have eternal life? It's because it's the life of eternal God placed in you by faith. We have a God who is immortal. He's invisible, but he's there. Right now, we don't see him. Right now, we can't trace him. He's like the wind. We feel it when it blows, and we know it was there, but we can't identify it with the human eye. But John says in 1 John 3, one day we will see him. And seeing him, we will be like him. We have a God who is king of ages, immortal, invisible, and yes, he is the only God. All due respect to people who worship in other faiths, but the Bible here is clear. There's one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the only God, but he's God enough. He's God enough. And to him, we owe honor and glory and praise forevermore. I don't know if you think anybody's beyond saving. I don't. I had to give up that belief when God saved me. There's something about Paul's testimony here that just resonates with me. When he says, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, insolent opponent. Remember this church, you've heard me share my testimony before. I won't get into it long here, but you know that I was formerly a Muslim. And as a Muslim on campus, a real opponent to the gospel. Three preachers come on campus, I preach right back at them. Led young men into Islam. I didn't arrest anybody or beat anybody, but I certainly, I certainly had a murderous heart. I had a hateful heart. And there's some things, man, that just like stubborn stains, you can't get out your clothes. Like I'm, I'm looking at Paul here. He says, I'm a persecutor, a, a violent man, a blasphemer. You realize that Paul comes to that description of himself almost every time he shares his testimony. So we see it when it happens in Acts 7 and 8 and 9, but way back down in Acts 22 and later in the chapter near the end of Paul's life when he's before King Agrippa, this is what he testifies to. I think that Paul maybe sees the faces of people he arrested and beat when he lays down at night. I think maybe he can't shake this. So he's free from it, but, he, you know, we remember, don't we? And I remember my days as a practicing Muslim, and I remember what my heart was like, beloved. I didn't deserve this. Did not deserve this. When the Lord saved me, I had to give up on this notion that anybody was beyond salvation. I had to come to think of as normal stories like the story of David Berkowitz. David Berkowitz grew up in Queens, New York. Uh, Parents, his, his biological parents had all kinds of problems with drug and alcohol, so he was adopted, uh, raised by an adoptive family. 
he was about 11 or 12 or so, his um, sister introduced him to the occult. So he got into all kinds of demonic things. Goes off to join the, the military, serves in the military, gets out, gets discharged. He's still um, working in the occult, working in the demonic things. And he says one day, a demon spoke to his neighbor's dog and convinced him he should start killing people. So between July of 1975 and July of 1976 in Queens, New York, he murdered six people and injured seven others. You may know him as the son of Sam. That was his name given to him by the police at that time who eventually caught him. He was sentenced to prison, serving life in prison. He's been up for parole five times, and five times he has refused parole. He said, because I did it. I can't shake that I did it. While he's been in prison, he's converted. He's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel, through the witness of the gospel. And in prison, he's been evangelizing and discipling prisoners. Uh, He's just an entirely different man by every account. He's even worked as a victim's advocate. He's worked for laws that, that make it illegal for people who commit these kinds of crimes to get book deals and television deals and to get, to get money from those deals, that that money should go to the victims, if anywhere, if anybody should tell those stories. So this is some of the fruit of his changed life. How did he change? The mercy of God in the gospel. How do we change? It's the mercy of God in the gospel. And we should celebrate. We should celebrate. So if you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian. God has mercy for you. He has love for you, and he's proven it. In the death of his son on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. To give eternal life to everyone who believes in him. And church family. If we've been thinking that someone is too far gone from God, let's remember our testimony. Let's remember the son of Sam. Let's remember the apostle Paul. Let's repent of ever thinking that and pray for more mercy. Let's pray together. Father, indeed, we give you praise and thanks for what you have done through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We were, as the hymn writer said, sinking in sin. But you sent him to rescue us and to make us your own. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you honor. We exalt you as the king of ages, the immortal, the invisible, the only God. And we pray, O Lord, make yourself known to us and through us in this world so desperately in need of mercy. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name.